Hello, everyone. Welcome to this program entitled Advances in Disease Management of Generalized Myasthenia Gravis by Reducing Levels of IgG Autoantibodies. This program is supported by an educational grant from Argenics and is provided by Academic CME. I'm James Howard, Chip Howard to many of you. I'm a professor of neurology, medicine, and allied health at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm joined by two colleagues, Vera Brill, Professor of Neurology at the Ellen and Martin Prosserman Center for Neuromuscular Diseases, the University Health Network at the University of Toronto in Toronto, Canada, and John Vissing, MD, Professor of Neurology, Director of the Neuromuscular Clinic and Research Unit at the University of Copenhagen the Copenhagen Neuromuscular Center in Denmark. And let me start by asking each of you, given our current toolbox, not with FGART, not with EQ, what is the biggest limitation your patients have experienced with them? I know Vera has some very strong opinions on, uh, on yeah. the use of steroids and all, but, but what, what are the problems with what we've got? The question comes up is why do we need new treatments really? So- oh. What are our issues? I think um, with uh, corticosteroids, which are used in 70% of patients, as you saw uh, listed or in our clinic, um, and used in more at the beginning and then tapered if we can, uh, the list of side effects is uh, tremendously long. And as you uh, see more patients and, and treat patients for longer years, you see them all. Uh, it's not just the rare ones that you never see, you know, but you see them all eventually in your patient population. From psychosis with steroids, 80% uh, gain weight, uh, they have precipitate diabetes, hypertension, osteoporosis, mood changes, irritability, skin changes, you name it, they're going, you're going to see it and it's going to be an issue. And our younger patients don't want to um, undertake those uh, side effects. The older patients already often have comorbid disease, and it becomes difficult to put a, a patient who has diabetes already and hypertension and hypercholesterolemia on steroids. But they're very good. They're very effective. That's why we still use them. They're cheap. They're not a cost burden. This is, this is a very difficult conundrum for us and why we're so looking forward to new therapies without all these issues. John, in your patient population, what's their biggest issue? Well, I, I think, you know, the, the, the issue is uh, echoing what Vera was saying, that, that this is a very, I mean, the conventional immunosuppressants, it's a very widespread suppression of the whole immune system. And I think moving to more targeted therapies, although they are not really surgical still, because, I mean, none of them are really, you know, pinpointing just antibodies uh, directed against the acetylcholine receptor. And I think we will, there will be quite a while before we reach that point. But I think the new uh, treatments with complement inhibition and SRN uh, inhibition, they are more top targeted. I mean, they don't have such a widespread uh, impact on the immune system, but still yet, you know, uh, solve the problem for many myasthenia patients. So um, the, clearly the, the, the limitation uh, it, for the patients today is that they are treated with much too wildly working drugs uh, that don't uh, 
work immediately uh, as the new drops also do almost, you know, in a couple of weeks, as opposed to almost a year. In the overall practice of neuromuscular medicine with myasthenia, do you see the role of these targeted therapies as adjunctive? Or do you see them becoming first-line therapies? Um, I mean, personally, I do. Um, of course, it's a matter of price uh, also for, for these drugs. But uh, obviously, we, 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 we would need trials uh, for newly diagnosed patients because we, don't, we, don't, we haven't seen this yet. Uh, but, but certainly, I think they, they can play a role also in myasthenic crisis. Um, so I think they can move up the ladder in the algorithm, um, but we need trials. I, I would agree totally. I think the cost will be the prohibitive element. Uh, we struggle with that in our system, which uh, for reimbursement by the, the government. But one benefit to FC receptor inhibitors over IVIG is that in Canada, all our IVIG and sub-QIG comes from the Canadian Blood Services. And we are fighting transfusion medicine specialists to get access to IVIG and sub-QIG, which they think should be reserved for immunodeficiencies and multiple other uh, indications. And they feel we overuse IVIG. So if we can eliminate our dependence on IVIG with a, a drug such as efgartigamide, which does the same and drops the antibodies, it will be a huge shift. And I'm not sure what the pricing will be and will, whether it will be comparable to chronic IVIG use for those who are refractory or who need it. Uh, and if, if it's cheap enough and we could use it instead of steroids, that would be excellent. Also, if a cost effectiveness study could be used that could somehow model all the costs of the side effects of chronic steroids, which has never been done, which we've asked for over and over, because that will justify the use of these novel therapies um, to society. We can say, yes, you know, they cost this, but look at the cost of chronic steroids to these people uh, and to society. So this is what well, I think. Yeah, I, I think you hit it, the nail right on the head, Vera. And it's, yes, the cost per se of an individual drug is high, but when you take into account the cost of treating a patient that you've given diabetes to, a perforated colon, osteoporosis, hypertension, those long-term costs, the cost of loss of work, uh, et cetera, to society, when that starts to get factored in, I think you'll find that these become very reasonably priced. Um, IVIG to treat on an ongoing every four weeks, every five-week basis uh, is about the equivalent of cost of efgartigamide using it three to five times uh, in a year here in the States, at least in my area. So there is cost benefit there, uh, without question. That, that would be tremendous for our patients uh, to show, have that benefit. But I would encourage all of the manufacturers of these FC receptor inhibitors and the complement inhibitors to get together and do it a costing of the chronic steroid population. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, in the States, that will be difficult because of our fractured insurance system, et cetera. But in places like Europe, Canada, where you have single registries and all, uh, I think that is quite doable um, and would love to see it, see it done. Um, in terms of um, the future, um, where do you see this whole field going? Where do you think, and you alluded to it a little bit, Vera, but where do we need to focus? Well, in 
in, drop, in preventing the formation of the antibody. And there is exciting developments going on. Well, for Musk with CAR-T therapy, right? Um, where you take a patient's T cells, modify them, expand them in infusion, you modify them to recognize the antigen, uh, the antibody, the abnormal antibody, and they go in and they, you start getting an attack on those abnormal antibodies and drop it. The trouble with acetylcholine receptors is that they have such variable epitopes that it's not so possible to modify your T cells against the acetylcholine receptor uh, producing cells. But that would be the, the, the ideal if you could actually reduce that formation of abnormal antibody or turn it off. Um, I, and I don't know that you do it well enough with say hemopoietic stem cell transplant that's life-threatening, but that's what I'd like to see because then you can avoid all the downstream effects. The other speculation is, could you use complement inhibitors plus FC receptor inhibitors as a one-two therapy? You know, like, could you use one and then the other? And uh, because the antibodies don't go to zero, there's still some floating around. So maybe you could do that and block off that last step and see if they're better. So I think there's one company that's very well positioned to do a comp, uh, combined study. Whether they'll do it or not, I don't know. Yeah, that's just what I've advocated is the combinational therapy, much like we do in oncology. John, where do you see we need to go for the future? Oh, well, definitely more specific uh, treatments that we've uh, talked about. But, uh, but I also think an, another aspect that we need to focus on is, you know, the mismatch between what the, the doctor thinks about how the patient is doing and how the patient thinks he or she is doing. Uh, because uh, a lot of patients are really not uh, happy, even though you, if you do a QMG, they're actually doing quite well. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I think we, as doctors, we have focused uh, too little on all the other aspects of having a chronic disease of being, you know, um, hit by myasthenia when you're 32 and you've just had your first child, uh, maybe you were depressed. I mean, there are so many other factors in myasthenia gravis that, that makes you ill. And I think as doctors, we, we also, uh, uh, besides all this science about new drugs and so on, we also had to focus on some really basic things. Yeah, um, I term it disease burden and treatment burden. And I think right. we've done reasonably well with disease burden. We're failing miserably with treatment burden. And there was an editorial in Neurology October of 2021 um, titled, Myasthenia Gravis Patients Are Better, But Are They Really Doing Well? And I think it gets to the heart of this, that we right. ignored the adverse event profiles, the lost time from work, the the logistics of treatment, the time from initiation to the onset of effect that uh, Vera had, has uh, alluded to in, in her talk. So yes, we've come a long ways. We're in a phenomenal upswing in terms of myasthenia interest, but, but we still have work to do. And um, I'm hopeful, we're all hopeful that the future will, uh, will prevail and, and we'll get there. I wanna thank you both for your time. Uh, in this presentation well, and thank you. this session. It's been great. It's a pleasure. And uh, look forward to doing it again.